Hey, this is Dave Pryor from Trucking PM Radio. You're probably listening to this podcast on projectmanagement.com, and I would like to thank them once again for being a sponsor of the podcast. Today, I have my good friend, Devin Hedge here. Devin, thanks for taking time out of your morning. Great to talk to you. <laughs> you say that now. We haven't even started yet. Okay. So we're going to be talking about some transformation-related stuff. Um, I've done a lot of podcasts recently about transforming digital agencies. And this is a different topic. We're talking about the idea of digital transformation. So um, we're going to get into that in a second. Before we do, Devin, can you give kind of an update on kind of what, what your background is for the folks who may not be familiar with you yet? Okay. So uh, let's see, background, consulting, management consulting, but I've been focused mostly in agile transformation for the last, oh, seven, eight, nine years. Um, but in the tra agile transformation space, everybody keeps talking about transformation. And, and I, back about, what, nine months ago, I was like, wait, what transformation are we talking about? So that was kind of how I arrived at this. And so as I was focusing and doing a lot of research, I was like, wow, digital transformation is more important than agile transformation. And that's where I started focusing. So I've heard people use digital transformation a lot of different ways. And I want to start out by trying to clarify that. Like I, I know one guy I talked to was doing digital transformation and he was helping a company that managed uh, shipping containers and ports digitize their entire operation. So they went from totally paper and you know manual labor to everything being computer operated. That's one type of digital transformation. Uh, there's also the digital agency stuff, but we're talking about a different kind of transformation. Can you give sort of a your take on what what we're talking about when you say like when you say digital transformation, what do you mean? Yeah, usually it's taking all of your processes and making sure that first of all they're they're all electronic processes. So you're taking all the paper and making electronic forms. That's one aspect of it. But more than that, it's moving everything to where the customer, the end customer is the focal point and the digital experience or the user experience and every single interaction that the customer has is articulating in a way that in, in the case of most organizations I've been working with is a mobile first strategy. So every interaction with a um, company and its customer is mobile first digital portal. So it's, it's transforming the operation of the company into a digital way of working, but then it's also, uh, I guess, providing access to, or, or a way of interacting with the company for the end user on a digital platform, like a mobile device or, you know, a laptop or a car or whatever. Yeah. And it's even, it goes even further, right? So we're starting to get into things like uh, blockchain. We're starting to get into things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. So it's trying to uh, remove the need or necessity for call centers for actually a human for talking humans. to a human. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Humans inside the organization. Because what ends up being a, the constant source of failure mode in terms of order transactions, order processing, is the actual human element, right? So we're trying to take that out of there. Uh, and a lot of organizations, they also have computer-to-computer -computer, um, upstream-downstream interfaces, and um, those historically have been very big 
batch processes. And when we talk about digital transformation, we're moving more towards a services-oriented approach with your partners to where the interfaces are very transactional um, and, and dynamic. So this is it's weird to me that there's this constant focus and push amongst thought leaders in the space that we both work in for people to have more empathy and to treat relationships like as a not a transactional thing, but as, um, you know, every interaction with someone is part of a bigger, longer game. Um, but we're looking for systems that do the exact opposite of that. Yeah. we're So the, the goal is to take and make the human aspect really deeply human, right? Really deeply okay. human, right? But then the non-human part of that, to make it... Um, What's the word Apple used? Frictionless, yeah. right? To really make it frictionless. Like if you go into an Apple store, you've got two, two relationships going on in there. You've got the relationship between you and the people in the store, right, that are working the store. And that, that tends to be a pretty deep relationship because they, they are trained on being highly empathetic to what you're trying to do and, and to boil it down to where it's really simple. Right. Okay. But the actual checkout process, that's all digital. Even if you're dealing with someone in the store, it's all digital and very frictionless. Well, all right. So let's take the Apple store as an example and, and use this as a way to get into this conversation. So I was actually just in the Apple store yesterday cause my iPad is not working right. And every time I go into the Apple store now, I think of it as a much more transactional engagement. 10, 15 years ago, the Apple store, when I lived in Plano, Texas, the one at Willow Bend or Willow Creek Mall, whatever it's called, that was like my sanctuary. Like I, I'd, I'd gotten to know a couple people in the store. I could come and hang. I could talk about this, you know, whatever I was trying to do. And, and we'd kick like geek out on stuff. And that was from a pure operational perspective, full of waste, but it was deep. It was, I had a connection with these people. Now I go in and I get some, some you know, they're like all super high energy, like, hey, what's going on, buddy? And they're pointing their fingers and telling me all this great stuff. And it's super like, hey, have you tried this? Hey, have you tried that? And it's very social engineered. And I can tell that about every 30 seconds they're supposed to pitch me some other aspect of an Apple product. Um, but they are engaging. They're trained to be, to make me feel like it's a deep connection. But I know it's not. Yeah, so there, therein lies the challenge. And then right? there's the computer thing that's going on in the background that's dealing with all the other aspects of my account. Right. So there's three different types of transactions. So if we build systems that digitize the interaction, is that going to enable, I don't know, what, what would you call these relationships that are like, they're not deep, but they feel deep for a couple seconds, but they're they're kind of like, the equivalent of like junk food. It's like, <laughs> like I lasting I effect. Like I ate a Twinkie. Like now yeah. I feel like crap and I'm hungry again. It's uh, um, it's the uh, I'm going to use Facebook or Instagram effect, right? So yeah. it's it's literally getting the dopamine hit as as quickly as you can, over and over and over and over and over again, to where you want the dopamine hit. Yeah. Over and over and over and over again. So there's there's that aspect, but then there's the. Um, is it built for me? Does it feel like it's built for me? Well, if it's, it's built for you to get on with your life and get on to your next transaction. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is kind of an interesting space, right? So you got the dopamine hit. It's 
the the interesting part of it is that we recognize that as much as we like to think that our relationship with businesses is deeply uh, is deep, but in reality, it's just a dopamine hit. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in order for that to work, just like it, this is going to bat bad analogy, but it's it's kind of like a drug addict. After I don't while. think that's a bad analogy at all. I think it's perfect because it's yeah. what your body's looking for. So yeah, if you well, you get addicted, but the addiction uh, starts to wear off, so you need more. But bigger, so bigger. If I am, I'm going to do two two quick examples. When I'm watching TV shows with my kid, one of the things I don't ask her to do is watch some of the shows that I liked watching when I was younger. Like, my daughter's never going to sit through an episode of The Rockford Files because there is not enough quick hits in that show. Because back then, we were used to much longer, slower-paced things with a lot more dialogue and, like, scenes of Jim Garner, like, driving around, you know, walking from one place to another. Not a lot happened too fast. But the pacing of shows now is much, much quicker. And, and so we're used to that hit. And if I'm setting up a store to make it more efficient, whether it's a Starbucks or an Apple store, or if it's some kind of customer service thing, like I had to call Cox talking about my internet the other day, um, it is the poke. Like poke yeah. me again and again. And every time you poke me, I get that little hit. And it's almost like, in, under the guise of removing waste from the system, we're building inefficient systems that are meant to deliver just this pinprick of dope every couple minutes. Yeah. 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 And so it, how is that good? <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> um, I don't know if it is good. I I, I think it just is. Or it's what ways. we expect. Or it's what, it's, what CEOs It's where are, we're at. What, here comes the big segue. It's what the CEOs are being told in magazines that they need to provide to the short attention span, constantly hungry, attention addicted customers in order to keep them. I'm sorry. What were you saying? I was checking my yeah. Instagram. Ah! No, no, you're spot on. But I'm bumped. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, you're folks. Absolutely... He'll be here all week. Try the veal. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. No, you're spot on there. And and uh, the management magazines are are kind of interesting. Um there's um, there's you know like there's six six okay so the the focus is user centric no matter what it is whether it's cable company whether it's the power company and even when they're talking about like power grids now like managing massive power grids they're like great make it user centric I'm like but the user never even sees the power grid or the interface between right the user does not want to know. No, they don't. They just want it to be there. So then, design thinking comes in. How do you make the whole experience for the end user, who's just flipping on a switch, expecting a light to be there, power to be there, for their bill to come in, for it not to be something that's um, onerous, onerous or, or or unexpected, or something uh, that impedes their dopamine hit? Yeah, exactly. Or um, if they have to call because the power outage has happened can is there a way that we can make it to where it's fun to report this into the power utility and you're actually using the end user as a sensor okay so this kind of goes down that whole gamification path and there's a part of me that wants to be very like get off my lawn 
stop coddling me. If I have to call, like when I called Cox today, I expect to be pissed off the entire time. I expect them to spend every second trying to sell me into something else. And I know when I call them, I'm going to have to pay because when I'm paying for unlimited data and they throttle my bandwidth, unlimited data doesn't actually mean unlimited data. It means unlimited until they decide you have to pay more to actually have the rest of the unlimited. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go down that. But they get me to call and I call <laughs> they, they and do. they come back every couple seconds like, hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Um, is that, yeah. but does does that really make anything more efficient? Does it provide more value or is it just like a high touch it cre- thing? It creates stickiness. And right now the switching cost in so many companies is very low. And I'm just right. thinking of, I was watching Stranger Things last night and I'm thinking of that scene where Hopper's in the tunnel and he's sticking to the walls and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> stickiness, great. As long as you don't have the tentacles come out exactly. and try and choke you exactly. on the floor, right? Exactly. Oh, spoiler alert. Anyway, so, yeah. Um, but, I mean, so how do we design systems like that are sticky, that creates an experience that's sticky? Well, that's the focus that we've got to shift towards. It, agile is, is one piece of it because you you got technology becomes like 80% of your company, right? You're actually reducing the, the body count and, and they even say head count, right? So yeah. it's, it's like, why don't you just go ahead and say body count because it sounds more appropriate because you're – yeah. <laughs> but you're trying to kill kill off your you know what's your body count this week <laughs> so <laughs> right so it's halloween so body count's an appropriate conversation but i want to i want to shift a little bit when we talk about design thinking my understanding of that which is limited or fairly pedestrian is um they're trying to understand the problem at a deeper level than i would understand the problem so I would expect them to be solving things at a more mature is not really the right word, but a deeper level that I'm actually experiencing them. So if design thinking is really just getting us to a quicker dopamine hit and it's not really making the business more efficient, yes, it might be making more making it more sticky, but sticky in the same way that, you know, I got to keep coming back to my guy to get more stuff or I'm going to have to wake up and face everything else. Um, what's it fixing and how, and how is agile going to help? Uh, so it's, it, what it's fixing is this, um, challenge of switching costs. Okay. So if, if it's really easy to be disrupted and buy a startup, which it is, or a squirrel, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's really easy for me to switch from your product to someone else's product, your service to someone else's service. You have to create that dopamine hit, that stickiness. Okay. Uh, a good use Cox cable. How many cable providers do you have? Where I live, you can have eighteen to your Cox. You get two choices. Okay. And I so, and I used to switch back and forth about every six months because one would make me so angry. I'd swear to not use it again. Yeah, and eventually it became the irritant became subtle enough that I stopped switching. For a lot of Americans, we're getting more and more choices for different providers. Yeah, uh, gas, utilities. Well, uh, gas, music electric. subscription services. I switch that about once mm-hmm. every four weeks. 
Yeah, yeah. And so the cost of acquisition is is tremendous to get you back. Right. Well, Why is not, it though? Because so there was a thing. I, mean, I did work for Sprint like about fifteen years ago, and there was a thing that I learned that um, this was back when Sprint was the leading cell phone company. That there was so much churn amongst all the carriers that it really didn't matter. Customer service, there was no point in spending money on it because everybody sucked equally. And because everybody sucked equally, you would lose half your customer base every year and gain half back from the other customers that were pissed off at the other providers. So if the churn, I mean, there was a thing in an article that Devin and I both read about switching the switchers, which I guess is meaning get them to stop switching. Yeah. But if everybody sucks equally the switching is a constant thing. And then you would just have to learn to cope with that. It, it is until someone disrupts you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because the moment that someone disrupts you and they can make it sticky, that, that they have effectively disrupted the market. So if you can disrupt yourself, make yourself sticky, then your cost of acquisition of your segment can go down. Now, this requires knowing your segments so crazy intimately, like you have to have a BI strategy, you have to have a data analytics strategy, you have to have a data mining strategy. Well, forget about all that for a second. You have to know what they want. You have to know what's valuable to them. Yeah, and you got to be watching for it to watching shift. That. Yeah, you've got to be watching that like a hawk. I mean, like literally every morning you should be getting up and saying, what changed? Yeah. And what are we changing to? Yeah. And, and that's where Agile comes in because that's the only – that's the enabling piece, right? And it's it's not just Agile as process. Um, one, one article I was reading was talking about, yeah, you got to have Agile as process. Duh, that's actually not even or, a, a, or, a differentiator anymore. Or Agile as a magic kingdom that you're going to get keys to someday. Right, right. No, it, it, you, those are all things that are just givens, Yeah. right? So – you have to have a, a agile – I've heard agile culture. I'm not sure if I like that phrase. I, how about growth I, mindset in the whole company? Okay. Right? Fluid mindset where everyone's coming in every morning and going, great, what changed? And what are we changing to? But that – okay. So let's contrast that with the dopamine thing for a second. If I have to go into work every day and say, okay, what changed, then – I am in a constant state of confusion and chaos because nothing's ever going to, I don't know what to expect every day. And that's going to, I'm wondering if we're kind of feeding the vicious cycle because that way of looking at the world, which it is important to what we do, demands a, a sort of a hyperactive level of attention that will make it hard for me to focus deeply on anything for a prolonged period of time. I will get used to the constant change. I'm going to need that all the time, and that's the same as the dopamine hit. Yeah, and I this is where things like self-healing networks, artificial intelligence, um, uh, all these things are going to come into play very, very quickly and to where the constant churn, the constant change isn't as much of a, a load on the humans in the company and the humans then can use things like Kanban and lean to continuously reprioritize every morning, 15 minutes. Here's what we're doing for the next 24 hours. Right. And that, that re reduces that cognitive load of the anxiety 
of okay. what are we changing to. So this all fits together in a nice puzzle, but some of the puzzle pieces we we don't necessarily have figured out how they actually fit in the puzzle. So I, I want to restate that for a second for folks that maybe didn't catch some of the subtlety of what you were saying. So <clears throat> with this constant state of change, I mean, one parallel would be you can look at the media and how much, you know, media and data we collect every day as opposed to somebody a hundred years ago. Um, our brains have had to change to be able to accept a lot more input and that has caused us to struggle with focus. Um, it's one of the, you know, probably contributing factors to why kids and many adults today have so much trouble staying locked in on anything, anything for a long period of time. What Devin is suggesting is that there need to be tools in place that allow us to manage that flow of information um, with less of a cognitive burden so that it, it takes it's less taxing for us and we can get clarity faster and that maybe all that stuff, I mean, things like a Kanban board, you know, visualizing your work, limiting your whip, all that stuff definitely helps, but we probably are missing some tools. If we weren't, I wouldn't have 6,000 unread emails in my inbox. That's right. That's right. Um... Uh, example storms storms flowing across the country right for different businesses um, home improvement stores they have literally whole operation centers that focus on you know what does our distribution network load look like and they have they're investing in, in really cool technologies that are going to help them figure out logistically how things move around so humans actually stink at that right it, it just we're, we're we just don't have that ca capacity to deal with so many different data points the tools now are just now emerging that can do that in a useful way we've had tools sitting around but they just haven't they've been unwieldy they haven't evolved fast enough to deal with changing conditions this is where ai I think is going to, and machine learning is going to play a big component. Um, but that that necessitates investing in, in two other areas, which is when you've got to invest in your people to be um, growing constantly, right? So you got to make space for that. You got to create a network of partners, right? So that it, it, you're not just hiring contractors and, and beating them over the head like you know, um, 17th, 18th century. Well, you're, you're moving away from that transactional relationship yeah. and looking at something that is a deeper, yeah. more valuable kind of coexisting thing. Yeah, and and with, so by necessity, then you got to back up 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 inside your organization and go, okay, well that means that how we procure services has to change. We won't really be procuring services from our contractors so much as we will be partnering with our contractors and we we talk about this all the time we've been talking about this for like two decades right but we're just now getting to the point where everyone goes oh that's what that looks like well and, I don't... and also when devin says for those who are listening <laughs> i don't mean to talk about you in a third person but when you but... say we're just now getting to the point that means that people like devin are just now getting to the point and a lot of the planet it's going to be six months to a year before you get to the point. You do tend well, to be out ahead of the curve a little bit. Well, not maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny because I was doing some work for the U.S. government, right, in, in a lot of states. And they 
they are literally looking at their procurement process and going, this isn't working for us. What do we do? And so, you know, when you start talking about uh, changing their procurement process, everyone gets nervous because there's laws around that. And then you got to go get the legislature involved. And then the lobbyists get involved because they don't want the process to change because there's good money in it. Right, because change is uncomfortable. Yeah, well, change is uncomfortable and, and everyone likes to game the system as best as they can. Um, and, and I'm not even going to put a judgment statement on that because... That's just a natural reaction. But do yeah. you think that, um, I mean, just to kind of bring it back towards the Agile side of things a little bit, I see that Agile approach, mindset, culture, whatever you want to call it, as one that is there to help kind of suss out what needs to change and to help you deal with change. Yeah. And if we talk about, you know, a procurement as some somebody in the government is in charge of a procurement system looking at it, looking at it, looking at it and saying it doesn't work is something that's been happening for a long time. Looking at it and saying it doesn't work, let's fix it is a different thing. And I would put that kind of in the same column as agile and it's not just we need an enhanced ability to cope with change but we need an enhanced kind of intrinsic desire to fix stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's kind of a, uh, I think that's the biggest challenge because in order to actually do that, manufacturers right. have had, had kind of that mindset since, well, well American manufacturers had that mindset ever since the Japanese handed our, <laughs> Since hat, the Japanese right? gave it to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After we gave it to them. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. So, whatever. So, um, they were better at it than we were. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, they were rebuilding. They needed something to, to rebuild their country very quickly and, and, and recognize that they weren't going to get it right right out of the gate and, and just kind of iterate and iterate, iterate until they finally got right. Right. Um, we were pretty steady here in our country, so we didn't necessarily have to do that yeah. until we absolutely did. Um, so manufacturers have kind of had this, but they've mostly focused on the actual production line, not on the the product engineering side. Right? Yeah. Services have actually been the last to adopt some of that lean thinking, lean systems thinking and so you you basically if i'm looking at all this i'm like well there's kind of the missing capability that everyone needs which is the capability to continuously change and continuously innovate and that is hard that is really hard because you've got to change the incentive systems you have to change skill sets you have to change the structure of organizations and a lot of organizations, their way of dealing with all that, setting up all that, is literally not. Just, just they don't want to, and they won't, and they'll just maybe set up or acquire or, or start putting their uh, eggs in another basket altogether because it's just easier. Well, so let's let's talk about this for a second because a lot of those articles. I mean, we 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 started this conversation kind of, for me at least, it started with one article. I know you had read a bunch more. And I would like to try to end up at a place where we can offer some kind of advice for what management or C-level folks should be trying to think about with this. But if we talk about 
creating a culture where the only constant is this relentless pursuit of change, that's, it's going to be exhausting for a lot of people. And they're not going to want it because they want, everybody wants to climb to the top of the hill and be able to sit down and catch their breath. But if you know that as soon as you get to the top of the hill, there's some other guy on the hills whose job it is to knock you on your ass as soon as you get there, that's, that's hard. I mean, that, that's a massive shift. That's not just coping with change. That's just coping, that's coping with change and constant loss. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll relate a experience. So, okay. I, I, you know, I love backpacking, you know, I go bring my backpack everywhere I go. Right. So out on the Appalachian Trail, Western North Carolina, uh, one of the things it's, it's a heartbreaker. It's, it's a, oh man, it's a heartbreaker is the constant up and down hills on the Appalachian Trail, right? You're going up a hill and you're going down a hill. Then you're going up a hill and down a hill. And, and downhill, everybody's like, oh, well, it's downhill. It's not that bad. I'm like, are you kidding? That just kills your ankles and your knees, right? Right. The, what you're talking about reminds me of you go up a hill and you're like, ah, there's the summit, but it's a false summit. Yeah, yeah. Ah, get crap, to summit, I got to go down again. <laughs> oh, I got to go down again. Or, oh, look, I see there's a taller hill behind it, but it was masked by this hill. Yeah. <laughs> All right? So you got to go up even higher. Uh, that That's essentially the discipline, the mindset, the, the fortitude that you have to build is that skill set of dealing with that, right? that you're constantly going to be going up the hill, yeah. either to go down the hill or to go down a little hill and then up the next big hill, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's tough, but that's the state we live in. That's the the rate of churn is so high that, that uh, because of the dopamine hits, that you've just got to be there or you're not. You're just not going to be there in very long. Ask Etna. So do you think that we'll get to a point where that will be something that's free of judgment. Like where it's just, I mean, you look at um, anybody who achieves and then loses their space. You just brought up Aetna or any, any company that achieves great success and then loses their position that's seen as failure. Um, I'm wondering if at a company level, if at a personal level, we'll get to a point where it's just the course of things. Well, that's, that's kind of, all right, I'm bring some Judeo Zen Buddhism. How's that? Um, <laughs> yeah. You're in dangerous territory now, Devin. Go okay. ahead. All right, so it's it's literally yeah. You got to get to the point where this is just this just is. Okay. Right. This just is, and and you just got to move move on. Right. So we'll you just, just see it as well. It'll be a great place for all the mindfulness people to kind of figure out what they're actually talking about yeah yeah (laughs) we might have to cut that part out that was a little passive aggressive (laughs) on my part Um, well i'm a mindfulness person so i i but but the idea that we're talking about is that there is a natural flow of things and it is it is normal for the sea to come in and to go out it's normal for things to rise and fall and neither is good or bad it's just part of things happening so it's just part of things happening achieves great success and then achieves great failure those are just things and they're not not really things we should be judging we just observe them because they are what they are yeah well i mean there's this this thing emerging 
Um, I think Amazon is frustrating shareholders to no end, and Tesla is frustrating shareholders to no end because of the new business model that's emerging where we're starting to say maximizing shareholder value isn't what we're about anymore. We're going to win some, we're going to lose some, but we're going to just keep trying over and over and over again until we're winning more than we're losing. And winning and losing really isn't matter as long as we're achieving our purpose as an organization, which has some higher purpose, which is rooted in uh, <laughs> a, a certain amount of just doing good in the world. Well, or, or just, and I don't mean to play the pessimistic side of it, but when you were talking, I was thinking about something that that has been stuck in my head for a while. When I started to look at lean startup stuff and learn about that, the thing that became apparent to me what it was that it, it's not so much, I have an idea, I'm going to create a product and sell it. It's I'm going to create a company. And that company is going to put on whatever mask, whatever costume, do whatever it has to do within reason to survive. And this adaptability, you know, great for the shareholders. If we can put some money in their pockets, awesome. But we need to build a company that's going to be able to withstand constant change, that's going to be developed in a way that it is constantly innovating. And as soon as it achieves something great, there's somebody else in that company whose job it is to take that thing down or replace it with something better. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. it's very Hunger Games, though. It's going to wear a lot of people out. I I don't know, because... Um, I think we're probably still one generation away, so 20 years. Okay. From um, being there, right? Okay. And I'm already seeing, um, I'll call it resilience, being built. That's how I said that, being built into kids, right? Yeah. In school. I mean, that's literally part of what school teachers are trying to a skill set that they're trying to give kids is resilience because we know that resilient kids can weather this stuff. Um, so when they get out of college, they are going to be set up in that mindset. And that's, I see that as a, as a good thing. I'm optimistic about that. Um, it, it also means that as a civilization, we're going to have to look at bigger things than profit motive. Um, well, and that kind of goes to that thing Lissa said this summer at the Agile conference about changing the, you know, why are we not taking all the stuff that we know from the Agile community and helping the world figure out how to fix all the problems that we have, like global warming? Exactly. Like yeah. That. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely, that just so resonated with me when she said that. Yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah. And now um, you find, you know, institutions like MIT who, who, their whole management training stuff is about, yeah, this is all important, but how do we fit within a larger context of making sure we're not just solving problems for our shareholders, but solving problems for, for civilization, yeah. for our planet, right? We're, we're, we're still ways away from that, but I think the tools we're talking about, the techniques, these are all the emerging things that are going to be the tools that we have to have in our toolbox to get there. So this is just, I want to kind of try to get towards a conclusion here, but 
One of the things over the past five, 10 years that's happened is, you know, you can look at stuff like agile or different agile practices. You could look at things like design thinking, you could look at things like lean startup. And for a lot of organizations, those have become destinations. Um, but what we're talking about here is that those are not destinations. Those are just ways of getting stuff done. They're different tools in the toolbox or sets of tools. And if you want to be able to build a company or at an individual level, if you want to find a way to be able to thrive and adapt and be ready for all the things that you need to be ready for you know, in the future, um, those tools all have to be in place. So if you're in a spot where you're still trying to get your head around what Agile actually is, and you know, you've not heard of design thinking and you only know of Lean Startup because you saw the book in a bookstore, um, the clock is ticking and it's time to get those things in place immediately. Yeah. Because yeah. other and people have figured out how. Yeah. Um, some some sectors, it's actually too late. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's uh. interesting that, you know, because we were talking about the energy thing, that the energy companies are now like, well, we have to focus on, you know, the water and power companies got to take a user-centric approach to design. Well, not really. The water and power just make the water come out of the damn wall. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but it's but, important, though. But it, it, it's important because it used to be that we didn't – I'll give you a really example, good example in the water space. Um, California is always constantly worried about water, right? Yeah. And there's so much politics. I mean, it, good grief, it gave us a great movie. But yeah. um, <laughs> Chinatown, for those Chinatown, of you playing at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean – that is still playing out, that politics. And if you can liberate the problems that uh, California has away from the politics, which, you know, good luck, it's it's tough. But if you can use technology to do some of that, meaning you make it transparent to the end user where the water is going and the quality of the water. Yeah, that's the thing I was going to get to because user-centric, like we um... – we have allergies. I have an allergy, and so does my daughter to chlorine. So we had to have special water filters put in our house between the, the pipe in the street and the water that comes into our house. There's this giant extra water filter. From a user-centric standpoint, if I'm water in power and I could provide at the residential level your ability to select a quality of water to come into yeah. your house, you know, or what chemicals are okay, what are not okay, what do you want added, what do you want removed, you want it soft or hard or what, that would be pretty amazing as a service to offer. Yeah. Well, the technology is emerging. Yeah. And, and I, I, not just that, um, load balancing your water so that, yeah, okay, yeah, your faucets work and you get your shower and everything. But, but then what happens with the water when you're not using it? It's just sitting around in pipes. Or it's dripping, like how efficient is your system, the water system yeah. in your house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what like, can be reclaimed and reused? What can be reclaimed? What can be reused? Can the water company figure out that you've probably got a leak and say, "Hey, you know, um, you're you're wasting this much on uh, water, and this could save you this much money." Yeah. Here's a here's a service that we offer through for our an extra thousand dollars a month. We'll help you save twenty bucks a month. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a cynic, are you? Not at all. <laughs> no, but those things, I mean, they, they might even come inexpensive, but they will eventually become standard fare. Yeah. And that will help. Well, when I talk about that partner network, think about it. Uh, you've got plumbers um, who have peaks and valleys. Yeah. 
And how do you fill in those peaks and valleys? Well, if they were partnering with the actual water company, maybe there's something there. Yeah. There's lots of different options that have to be explored. So, so what do you think is a good way to kind of summarize this for somebody at the management level who's been listening to this conversation? Because we did kind of walk all over the map. But what, what is sort of your, what takeaway would you like them to have? Well, it's a big map. That's the first takeaway, okay. right? And you can't ignore the stuff that's on the other side of the mountain, to use the analogy, okay. right? As a, folks like to think, oh, I'm in this nice valley. I'm comfortable in this valley. This valley is good for me. It's got a great water source. You've got to understand the map. And on that map, there's a lot of capabilities that every organization has to pick up. Okay. The capability of continuously innovating, the con- capability of continuously changing your business model. Yeah. The the capability of continuously changing your IT. You can't think that you invest in IT for thirty years and it just sits there. Um, User centric design, your partner network, how you staff. And, and I don't mean just outsource and hire temp experts, but literally how you create an innovation center inside your organization. You have to be deliberate about these things. You can't ignore it. Yeah. And then agile is just got to be a thing in your organization. It's just how you think, not a process. Yeah, and not an end state. No, it's not an end state. Cool. All right, dude, thank you for doing this. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Like if they want to dig into this a little bit deeper. Yeah, probably the easiest way would be to reach out to me through LinkedIn. Okay. Um, my LinkedIn profile is... I'll put not, a link to it so you yeah. don't have to recite the long URL. Well, I think it's just okay. Devin Hedge. Okay. And, and then Twitter. <laughs> and then Twitter, uh, okay. Devin Hedge there. And then, uh, of course, there's DevonHedge.com. Cool. You can reach me there. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. And this was kind of a wandery conversation, but it was really fun. I had a great time. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Dave. Cool. Thanks, man.